0: One takeaway I'd love to present to the group is the idea that uh, startup methodologies typically come from software. And so yeah. they mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Continue. <laughs> this is episode five of the Odd Engineer podcast. I'm Erin McDermott, your host. And we have a very special guest this episode because. Greg Fisher is not one of the odd engineers that you can directly speak to, so you have to listen up during this interview because it's the only time <laughs> you'll be able to talk to him very soon until HardwareCon, which is something he's uh, been the driving force behind for many years. And finally, it is virtual, so I just want to plug this real quick in case you don't listen to the rest of the interview. It's June 8th on, Hardware Con, on HardwareCon.com, right? And uh, okay. you can, anyone can attend because it's virtual for the first time ever. So Greg Fisher, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks, Aaron, for having me. Yeah, great to be here.
1: So you have spent a lot of time doing other activities outside of HardwareCon to help hardware startups and even larger companies who are trying to make a physical product and get them successfully into production in a factory. And you know all about the challenges that go with that. Tell us about your background and how you got from your chemical engineering degree all the way through to where
0: you are now. Yeah, well, I, I think I fit very much in the mold of the hardware innovator. You know, I was thinking of crazy ideas since I was eight years old and wondering how to make things and get them out to the world. And um, so first thing I did with my chemical engineering degree was throw it by the wayside. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I had these grand ideas, and so I actually... Um, and didn't know where to take the first step. So I actually uh, bought some ice cream stores um, after saving some money early on. Okay. And, um
1: That's nuts. Nice yeah. Ice cream stores.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we had manufacturing. We were So we were a hardware company. <laughs> um,
1: what What was the draw to the the ice cream store?
0: You know, I I had, I had ideas for food delivery and satellite radio and these big ideas. And I was trying to like, Figure it out. What's the next step? And I realized, you know, nothing in my chemical engineering degree or, or working at the medical device startup was um, really preparing me to, to understand how to put a business together, you know. And, which
1: one of your parents
0: um, was the entrepreneur?
1: What's that? Which one of your parents was the entrepreneur?
0: Oh, neither. Actually, no, they were very <laughs> both very stable, which I think drove me to like, <laughs> it's like, why aren't you guys out inventing stuff? <laughs> um so, yeah, actually, my girlfriend's brother at the time had these ice cream stores and he was selling them. And then also the ice cream was like the best ice cream I'd ever tasted. And I love ice cream. And so I thought, you know, if worse comes to worse, <laughs> uh, I'll e- eat a lot of ice you know.
1: cream. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so and it did kind of cut my teeth that way and then learned a lot about business and uh, got later on. Um, was working with a importing company for hard, like literal hardware, the tools, um, wrenches and screwdrivers and so forth. It got me to China and was managing their quality program and, um, got to China and just realized what opportunities there were to, for improvement, really process control, quality control across the board. And this was in 2003. Um, so China was just kind of starting to ramp up in those days. And, uh, I, uh, after a few years there, I had a kind of a quality control program that I had wanted to implement that I wasn't able to at that company and and so I partnered with a Chinese partner who um, you know he he my partner had done a few billion dollars in business uh, at that stage of his life and had a kind of larger scale trading company and offices throughout China. and so we, Together founded Berkeley Sourcing Group with the idea to help earlier stage companies access the same kind of resources that were available to the larger companies. You know, the quick prototyping, the design for manufacturing, the manufacturing and, um, you know, the, all the, the skills there. So in that capacity, you know, been, um, running Berkeley Sourcing Group for the last 17 years. So I'm kind of transitioning out now. I'm still connected, but, um, We've worked with a thousand different, over a thousand hardware companies and. and yeah, you know,
1: over 17 years. That, that math it's, makes that flow. Yeah,
0: that's it, It's a lot of interesting challenges, you know, and so we've, we've seen most, you know, we're very generalist to, you know, mechanical engineering, soft goods, electronics. So we've really seen a lot of those challenges. And, um, as we were working with our customers, it became very obvious that, um, even though we could take off that that big chunk of kind of design for manufacturing, manufacturing, quality control, the production side. Um, a lot of the strategies that were being employed were not holistic. You know, maybe we can say is that there um, a lot of wh- one takeaway I'd love to present to the group is the idea that uh, startup methodologies typically come from software. And so yeah. They're lean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Continue. And, <laughs> and they're great, you know, they're great methodologies, and I don't want to. There's, there's a lot of value there. Um, but they're lean and they're agile, and you know, they're you, you change on the fly, and and some of that can happen in hardware, but a lot of it can't. And um, you know, once you make a design and you prove the design and you test the design and you're ready for manufacturing, um, you know, once you place. That order, components are being purchased, production queues are being set up, and workers are being trained, and and so it's very difficult to come back and say, "Hey, I want to, <laughs> I just want to tweak this thing here." <laughs> we got basically every production that we <laughs> <ever> <laughs> made, I would say. Um, and and so there there needs to be a bit of a different strategy, and and that's where we started Hardware Massive and, and Hardware Con was to try to present this idea that you know, you really need to look at hardware startups differently with a different methodology. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and really partner, you know, it, there, there's about, you know, we depends on what kind of product, but between 20 and 30 different disciplines, like if you're really going to succeed well, then you need somebody with 10 years experience that is not going to make any mistakes. Right. And, um,
1: yeah, and that's something I've seen with software companies too, like the very big, the apples and Googles, the Amazon lab 126, Like they have so many people that they can have very, very specialized divisions of labor. And like, I'm, I'm continually surprised that the project managers at Apple, like do not know how to do the engineering of the people that they are managing. Um, They are project managers. They manage the projects. They, they can make a Gantt chart like lickety split, but they cannot help in the engineering in any way. And you can't still do that division of labor when you only have 10 people on a team instead of, hundreds of thousands.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, and yeah, they have an engineer for one tiny little stamped part, right? And that's his job is like optimize that little teeny part. And, yeah. and um, as a hardware startup, you have maybe one or two mechanical engineers that are in charge of every single component and um, say, so, yeah, it's important, you know, and humility, I guess is the other <laughs> very valuable trait in hardware is um, because there are a lot of challenges, understanding, and listening, you know, really respecting the process and, and the people that have done it many times before is um, as as part of what we wanted to share with the world.
1: Yeah. Maybe. And sometimes it's not even, I guess, yeah, sometimes it is humility, but sometimes it's just like, no, I should be able to do this. This is what startups do. We have to wear many hats, you know, but there are some hats that maybe don't make sense for you to try to put on, like your head... It's just too small or it's too big.
0: <laughs> you're, you're so right. You know, and I, a lot of, a lot of the folks that we worked with, you know, they might be PhDs from Stanford or Berkeley and engineers and, and, and they've, everything else they've done in life has they've been a whopping success at. Right. And so they come into the hardware space thinking, okay, I, I can do this. I can learn this. I can execute this.
1: Um, and they probably could if they had 15 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's about the right time frame, But, um, it, it is, you know, we've seen many cases there, too, where it's, it's challenging and it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow to, to respect um, all the different details involved.
1: Are there some areas that maybe stick out more like a sore thumb than others that uh, people tend to just try to do on their own that they should really be seeking help for?
0: Yeah, I I, I think as far as awareness, I think that, you know, the first step is awareness, right? And so I I think first understanding... If you have a problem... (laughs) (laughs) And just what is is the process, right? I mean, packaging is one that often comes up that people aren't, they're not really thinking about until later on. And Mm -hmm. packaging may often turns out to be 7 to 10% of the cost of the product. So... If you haven't sourced that, if you haven't gotten the quotes, um, if that's not in your cost of goods, you know, your pricing model can be totally off right. Um,
1: right, or it right can be can. too
0: late. You know, your you're last minute, you're, you're stuck with fast solutions, which may not be the optimal solutions. So, um, you know, I think first step is just really walk through the whole process. Right. Tariffs. Um, duties in general, shipping logistics, 3PL, customer service, returns, defects. Um, you know, the design, probably the one that is really a black box that is so critical that is very challenging and underestimated is, is the design for manufacturing part. Um, yes. and, and this can be had through manufacturing partners and, and generally it is, um, but, if your orders are small and you're working with a tier three factory, and um, you know it, you may not get the kind of support that you need, and and you could be, that can really turn into quality issues and and cost issues and time issues for rework and other things. So um, it's not necessarily most of these things don't need to be in house. I think as a hardware startup, you can't have 20 people on your team that have 10 years experience. So um, you know, you have to look for the right partners and um, and so, I, a lot of the operational things, are, I think, are underestimated. You know, hard, hardware startups are usually the creative innovators, right? So they typically love love being in the lab, right? Love being in the proto- building prototypes, making the next best iteration. Um, That's your
1: comfy cocoon. That's where you're safe. at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, and it's it's a great place to be. Um, you know, so it's mo- most of the things that are not in the lab is where I'd say most hardware startups need, need more support.
1: Yeah. And then so you touched on a bit the relationships you have with vendors. And that's something I've definitely seen when I interview hardware startups that make it. And when I talk to hardware startups that don't make it, one of the key things I found is that the ones that make it are like the the thing that really saved us was we had a really good relationship with our vendor. And they came through for us and did went the extra mile when they really didn't have to because they liked us because we had a, a firm footing before it got to that
0: absolutely and um you know it's it's funny to me hearing a lot of the the chatter around chinese factories getting having such a hard time because you know you know having bad reputation because being in those factories and working with those factories you know on the inside i think everybody would be blown away a bit about you know with how many problems they're solving that weren't accounted for in the design you mm-hmm. know they're in any given project, there, there are a lot of, you know, the, the design can work theoretically, but then it has to work with a certain tool, on a certain machine, with a certain worker, with certain power. You know, to get brownouts and, and other things. You know, life life happens, right? And um, so the, these factories are constantly making subtle changes to make things work, and and oftentimes the only output or only real <laughs> Obvious output of that is, oh my gosh, they changed my design, you know? (laughs) Why would they do that? That's, and and that does, there maybe needs to be a little bit more respect there sometimes, but, um, at the same time, I I think that, uh, yeah, that the vendors do so much, um, to optimize the design, to make it cost effective, to make it durable, um, and and so the more you can have that open conversation and and get behind the scenes and the engineering and, and, be the more comfortable they can be with sharing those dirty oh, things they
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the better off you're going to be in communicating and working through those.
1: absolutely um and so you've worked with small startups all the way through you know medium sized companies maybe large companies um mm-hmm. what are there differences between the two that you see with issues that they didn't realize
0: oh i mean the the biggest you know, very obvious differences is is the process, you know, the, the larger companies, there's, there's a paper trail. Every, every change has, um, is documented and and tested and, um, uh, you know, maybe simulated, you know, uh, but, but there's, there's, there's a much more rigorous process and, and, and certainly also the, the focus once you get to reproducing items, you know, once you're into that second, third manufacturing run, then, it should be pretty dialed in if you, you know, focused on, on doing that. Um, there's always changes and, and things are always happening, but, um, you know, the larger companies are, are really focused a lot more on the cost control and the efficiencies and the durabilities and, and the supply chain in general. Whereas once you're getting those, you know, usually hardware startups, you're working with products that have never been made before. You know, there, there may not be a machine available, um, Right. You know, we, one of our first products was the clean bottle and it was a yeah. blow molded bottle with openings on both sides and you look at it and you think easy, right? There's <laughs> it all, you blow mold the bottle, you cut the sides you're good to go. And little did um, anybody know at the time, um, was, or, or that we were thinking about anyway, I should say as uh, the register point to cut the, the hole on one side. Is um, on the other on the bottom. So when you're cutting the bottom off, <laughs> you no longer have a place for the machine to register and to cut that hole. And so we had to build a whole new fixture and process um, wow. to make that feasible. You know, um, and that that's not uncommon in in innovative products. Is that you know manufacturing technologies are built specifically for tasks, particular tasks, and when you're asking the process to do something outside of that task, um, you may need to invent a new way of doing that.
1: Wow. That's that's a great example. <laughs> 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 Anything else that maybe small startups you've seen didn't really realize about, especially working with factories in China when, or any other Asian country, the culture difference there? I mean, you've hit the main... You
0: know <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, it's funny because I... The, I, I've lived in China for 17 years, you know, a third of the time. So, um, you know, I feel pretty pretty comfortable and proficient in Mandarin and um, can, can communicate and I've learned a lot about the culture. And Wow, um, I had
1: no idea, Greg. That's wild.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing experience, amazing place, amazing to be a part of that history. You know, they've really, you know, become... The changes in China. We think things happen fast here in Silicon Valley, but <laughs> <laughs> China has, you know, yeah, 100 excess in the last 17 years and change. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the biggest, what I would say is the biggest um, mistake or misunderstanding is to overcompensate for culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it is fundamentally business is business. And if you're trying to do business in be on the terms of another culture, then you're really losing your own, you're giving up your own abilities, your own advantage in some ways. Right. And so it, it is certainly important to try to understand everything you can try to, try to understand those differences and, and communicate, you know, but fundamentally I think because it is challenging is to keep it really, keep it simple, right? Here's, here's the expectation, here's the deliverable. Um, was it met? What are the results of it not being met? Who's, who's responsible for what? You know, clearly define roles and responsibilities, um, and don't try to overcomplicate it. You know, if um, business people are business people, I think typically around the world, and and if you can find a good way to make a win-win relationship, then then people and, and are respectful and fulfill your side of things, and people typically will. Treat you the same, I think, and and um, and do do the same. I and as I say that, I I'm thinking there's one piece of advice that I, I think is is probably my favorite analogy of <laughs> of the differences, and uh, is that I liken it to football, you know, American football, in that
1: American football,
0: <laughs> American football, to be specific, um, for our European audience and and others out there, um, but the you know in in america i think particularly and actually even more so in europe but um our business goal is typically longer term thinking you know we're when if it's a football team you're thinking about the touchdown right i'm gonna run this play as a fake and then next time i'm gonna run this play and and you know this that's gonna get me the touchdown right in the the long term whereas in china it's all about the first down Mm -hmm. right it is a very short term typically this obviously everyone is an individual and different, but, um, typically it's a very short-term game and, and the whole culture has kind of adopted that over time. So that's kind of the expectation. You know, there's even this is where I think contracts get very muddy between U.S. and Chinese companies because the yeah. relationship and the immediate value kind of trumps the contract a lot of times. And even if it might have been in the contract, um, the perception of the touchdown is not there, right? It's okay. This didn't work. I'm not doing it again. You know? <laughs> or, or this worked really well. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> um, so working with Chinese factories and, and Chinese partners, I think you, but both ways work, you know, the, if, if, as long as both sides are playing the same game, right? If both sides are thinking of the touchdown, that works very well if both sides are thinking of the first down, that works very well too. But what really doesn't work is when one side is playing for the touchdown and the other side is playing for the first down. It doesn't match up.
1: Absolutely. Great advice. So now you've piqued my curiosity. I want to know, can you tell me what, what like your day to day, um, the types of activities you would do when you'd be over in China for a third of your life in the past 17 years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but work-wise, or
1: yeah, what would you be doing? Is it meetings? Is it going to factories to make sure things are going according to plan? Is it, um, I don't know, prototyping? Is it what do you do?
0: Looking yeah, I better. mean, early, you know, I'd say for the first seven to ten years, it was a lot of factories. You know, I was I was always in the factories, and um, and it was, you know, as as the the leader of the company, it was a lot of showing face. It was a lot of showing them that we respected their Their work and what they were doing, and, um, and that really meant a lot, you know, being on the ground. Be, being on the ground and the face-to-face really means a lot in, in China, and I think anywhere it does. But
1: no more relationship-building than sorting out specific problems for a lot of that? Y-
0: you know, both. I mean, certainly while we were there, we would... Hardware problems! Yeah, <laughs> these are... There's problems, and we're going to, you know, um, try to come, cut them off at the past, but um, in large part, it wasn't you know, there, many many times it wasn't the lack of understanding of how to solve the problems. It was the lack of willingness to uh, apply the team or the resources or, or the timing to make it happen in the way that needed to happen. So, um, you know, we would, for, for my role, you know, we'd bring our engineers. I'd have my engineers with me, so they were doing more of the problem solving and, and digging in and speaking Chinese technically, which is um, still... <laughs> and will never be something I can do. I'm pretty sure. Um, but, uh, uh, so, so my role was really to help guide those conversations, help make sure review the factories, you know, um, we always wanted to make sure there, you know, there, there wasn't things that we didn't want to happen in environmentally or sustainably or child labor or or some things like that. Um, you know, so kind of giving that review and make sure we feel good about the partnership. Um, And then, but really trying to set up the game plan. You know, hey, these are our expect really setting expectations, right? Hey, we're and and being honest too from our side. You know, we work with a lot of early stage companies, and here's another thing I'll tell you: Chinese factories here all the time is, oh, this uh, this order's small, but the next one's gonna be huge. (laughs) And and, uh, you know, I think almost every most startups that we work with think, oh, these this factory is gonna be so enamored with. Our innovation with our potential they're gonna really jump through a lot of hoops to, to make sure this works for the next order um,
1: Sometimes that does happen that can be the saving grace but what's the reality of how often that happens
0: <laughs> and and you know those factories have all worked with tens or hundreds of startups where it didn't happen and they, they know they know that reality much more than the startup who's doing this for the first time. You know? yeah. And they know that conversation and they know all the details and they know that you're not beholden to them unless you have a long-term contract, right? So, um, if they're going to do all this work up front to solve all your problems, now they've absorbed all that cost and now you can take it to somebody else who can easily replicate a very good, well-designed, you know, manufacturing process. So, mm-hmm. um, So, so our part, part of what I would do with these factories is just be very honest. Look, hey, this is where we're at. This is what we need. Again, the short-term game, right? Let's, let's make this work for the first production. It quality, 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 right? Um, quality is always number one because the cost and risk of defective products is, uh, business killing. Um, and so it would really be about how do we get the quality and meet the requirements of, of the product. Um, And and I would say, too, to that product requirements. Product requirements document is the most important document for your supply chain. You know, if if you can clearly define including tolerances, if you can, including inspection and testing methodologies and instruments and, you know, exactly how this thing, exactly what it needs to pass and and meet, um, then the factories will largely have the resources and understanding of how to do that. Um, at 19 times out of 20 defects and problems happened because their tolerance wasn't specced mm. and there was not a clear understanding between the parties. And, and to, you know, if you look at it from the factory's point of view, if you're throwing out these designs and getting quotes, right, they know that you're going to choose the lowest price fundamentally. Um, and so, any time there's room for error or, or fudging, if there's no tolerance, of course they're going to use the wide open tolerance because that allows them to give you that price that you want, that you're asking for. And, and so it's really driven often by the startup. But when it happens, and <laughs> like, oh, of course we couldn't have plus or minus two millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> that was what we quoted. So... <laughs>
1: That goes to, you know, some advice that I usually have for hardware startups, especially when they're employing optics of any sort, because I'm an optical engineer, and I can see how, you know, these little changes in tolerances can completely screw up your whole design. Um, I always caution them that, you know, you really want to have as much of the ownership of the design and the tolerance and the optimization on your end versus the factory's end as much as possible, because, for one, you need to understand what you're engineering you need to understand it inside and out and even if you don't have that knowledge you need at least to have it done on your side so that you can have that work then followed up with later if you need to so like for example Mm -hmm. if you had a lens assembly system and you're like hey you know what chinese factory why don't you just design this it needs to be like this focal length go for it and they come up with this this assembly that's like several different lenses and some apertures and <laughs> and, then, and then that factory maybe closes. And then what do you do? Like, and then you don't have the design, you don't have it at all because what you gave them is not actually a design. It's a right. very vague description and you don't know how your own system works.
0: <laughs> right. And typically, if, if you, in U.S. law, if you haven't paid for the design, you don't own it either. So if you've asked the factory without paying them explicitly for that design, then that factory has the rights to that design. Um, and they may, you know, you may have a contractual relationship where they're not allowed to use or sell that design as a non-compete. But, um, yeah, I think that's often misunderstood, too. If you want to own a design, you need to have shown proof that you put in the the capital and and effort to create that design.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, sometimes I have to have things reverse engineered. That's a company's own product because they don't know (laughs) what they built. And then that ends up being more expensive than if they had just gone with the pros in in the first place to to get the design on track. Absolutely. That's why they need to go to... Places like, I don't know, Hardware Massive. Do you want to touch on Hardware Massive and what you've done over there? Because that's sort of a part of Hardware Con. I mean,
0: it's yeah, absolutely. Lacking. You know, Hardware Massive was um, it really grew out of our success with um, Hardware Startup Meetup groups around the world. Um, about yeah, also about eight, eight or nine years ago, we started those. And uh, you know, at Hardware Con this year, we're, it, it's really exciting to me because we're going to have I think four of the key players that kind of made hardware, put hardware startups on the map, you know, before that they were inventors and, and other things, but, um, you know, Jack McCauley, the founder of Oculus, uh, was going to have Dale Doherty, founder of Make, um, yeah. Chris Anderson, 3D Robotics and, and the drones Carol were really taking off, Carol Bass, who really was yeah, huge in, in Autodesk and pushing the tools for the... Um, engineering for smaller companies. And, uh, yeah, you got so.
1: stars this year. I'm impressed.
0: <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the content and hear their stories. Cause this, you know, it all happened about with Oculus Rift, um, exit, you know, that was the billion dollar exit that investors were looking for to prove that, Hey, hardware startups can be a really good way to go. And, oh, and there's
1: that. something to this maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kicked off the whole um, kind of craze and crowdfunding and I, th- I think a lot of this stuff, uh, but um, H- Hardware Massive, so we started right right after that, you know, after the IoT really started to kick off, we were doing, because I was traveling, we, we started um, the meetups in Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Korea, Japan, and, and we were the first kind of first movers there, at least in the English language, and... And so those chapters grew quickly and uh we then thought, you know, it was very difficult to continue the conversation. You know, meetup's great for the event, but it, you don't really have can't connect afterwards, right? So we um we developed our own platform to allow that community building. Um and very focused, you know, all about hardware, physical products, uh community and, and entrepreneurship. So uh, we grew, we've grown up to 44 chapters around the world. Um, and we built a, you know, one of the, um, pillars was a virtual accelerator program that we built that we implemented with the Korean government that were putting a, a lot of money in hardware innovation, still, still do. Um, but there was really a peak a few years ago where we developed a program that, to c- cover the kind of things that we're talking about today is how do you make the plan? How do you optimize the launch and growth? And, um, you know, first customer them went from 1.7 to 20 million dollar valuation and not
1: too shabby. <laughs> four
0: months. Yeah. Not too bad. Um,
1: very nice and
0: really paring down. You know, they came to us with nine products and they came out of the program with one product. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so they're kind of trying to keep things simple. And so we've, we've offered some different resources. Uh, you know, the last year with COVID, we, our specialty was local live events, you know, really kind of yeah. the local ecosystem. And, and so we've kind of hit <laughs> pause on that given the state of things.
1: Uh, I was we, so sad. I thought it might have been gone forever, but it's not. It's back.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, can't wait to kick things off here and, and start doing events again.
1: So tell us about HardwareCon then. What? It's totally different this year because it is virtual. What? How is yeah. this gonna work?
0: Yeah, we we were kicking and screaming, kind of going into this big transition because um, you know we've this is our seventh year um, for the live conference here in Silicon Valley. We we've typically had about 500 people, um, you know, five to six hundred each year, and uh, so we but given we we had postponed until April this year and it was still a little too close to comfort. We didn't want to take any risks. And, and so we, and we also didn't want to postpone anymore. So we thought, you know, let's, let's transition this thing over to virtual. And, um, I, I think there's certainly some zoom fatigue and some, some, you know, I think everyone's ready to get out into the real world. And and so we took a hard look at, you know, what, what were the things that we liked about the live events that weren't getting captured with the virtual events. And, And so, I think our, our event is really going to be implementing a lot of things that aren't typically implemented, and um, a few a few things are that you know we really a lot of people come for the speakers, right? They want to they want to get that firsthand knowledge, ask their firsthand question, and, and so what we've done is that we have um, the live Q and A panel. Um, you know, after the panel, we'll have the live Q and A with all the panelists, but then we've also tried to recreate that speaker walking off the stage and you know, meeting their biggest fans and answering the hardest questions um, by putting them in their own speaker rooms um, for up to a half hour so that the audience can still get that kind of one-on-one type of engagement. Uh, we have the virtual booths, um, but we also have a very curated, optimized way of networking that we've actually been developing in-house for a year and a half now. Um, you know, we've spun that that out into a different company, Parakeet, where... My partner, Matt Hall, who who you know well, um, is uh, running that now. And what it is is we, you know, we, people come to conferences typically for a few things. They, you know, to find products and services that they're looking for, you know, brand awareness, thought leadership, and general networking. And, And so what we wanted to do is, hey, if you have a need, right? instead of going to a happy hour and kind of looking at everybody's so badges, and maybe that person has what I need. Um, well, we've created Parakeet to make that a lot more efficient. So, Hey, if, if um, and you'll be with us and really excited yeah. to have you. So if okay. you need optical engineering services, you can sign up and get a 10 minute meeting with yourself. You can search, it'll search the database on both sides and, and see who you're looking to meet and, and make that, automatic meeting request. And in the platform, it'll connect the calendars and just make it real easy to to connect with the folks that you need. So, um, yeah, we're excited to to try this out. And I I hope it's going to be, yeah, move the needle a bit in in how virtual experiences happen. And hopefully here try to roll Parakeet out, not only for our own events, but for others as well.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how that'll work, because it's an experiment.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> um, you like
0: new stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm looking for the agenda, because I want to just cover what the talks are. So you have your fireside chat, and you just mentioned Oculus, and that's who the guy is that you're going to be talking to, right? That's what's you. Yeah,
0: Jack hear. McCauley. Yeah, oh. And, and I, I interview, I'm interviewing him, so
1: mm-hmm. that'll, that'll be, be
0: awesome. fun.
1: Yeah. And then there's a panel, "Go Big or Go Home," U.S. market entry.
0: Whoa. Yeah. So this is, yeah, exactly. you know, what I'm excited for is, you know, I met all these startups around the world, and they wanted to come to HardwareCon, but it's a lot to, you know, spend four thousand or whatever on the tickets in the hotel to get over here mm-hmm. for a day or two. And um, so we'll, the, the, we actually put in this panel um, for our international community, so that That's uh, so
1: nice.
0: locally too. But you know, the big. Um, U.S. is the biggest market, so how do you how do you break in here?
1: That is a great one. You're not going to find that anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and then the art of prototyping. So that's the one I'm going to be um, taking people with questions on. And uh, prototyping is the first thing. But then, okay. Oh, you got a pitch contest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got our Hardware Boulevard. So you know, one of the things we try to do is promote. The startups that are part of com- our community, and um, what we've done this year is done it a little bit differently, and created a whole package where we're trying to provide all the things that startups need, so that brand awareness, the promotion, all the media promotion, um, and then our our pitch contest. We it's it's a normal pitch contest. There's uh, thirty thousand in services and prizes, and wow. um, but but fundamentally, you know, what we are think is most valuable that is the investor feedback. So we're guaranteeing that as a part of the Hardware Boulevard package and the pitch contest uh, participation is that we will have the investors, hardware-specific investors, looking at these pitches and providing that feedback. And um, given this interview, is, we're kind of bumping up pretty quickly on, on the date here. So there's probably, by the time this is published, there'll probably just be a few more days to jump in on that. Yeah. So, um, uh, if, if you're looking for feedback so from the deadline is
1: now or not yet?
0: We, uh, you know what? We had it for June 1st. We're going to push that back. I think for reasons like this, um, to June the 4th.
1: So do it right now, whenever you're hearing this.
0: Yeah, <laughs> now is <laughs> the best time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> now is the best time. I love it. That is awesome. That's so much stuff. Um, and then. Okay, crisis inspired opportunity. How COVID is driving innovation. Let's take let's take this uh, crap show of 2020 and put a positive spin on it, like it, Greg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hardware has been a good beneficiary of a lot of, uh, of this crap show. <laughs> a lot of good products coming out of yeah these, these challenges.
1: And you know, like on the uh, engineering service provider side there is a bit more of an open acceptance of people being remote than there was previously, especially if they are, you know, contractors. So that's been kind of a nice thing. Mm -hmm. And then you got another panel, hardware venture capital. Oh, everyone, every startup wants to know about (laughs) venture capital stuff, trends and opportunities in the new decade. That will be one. I'm sure everyone's going to want to watch. Um, and then another panel on Grand Challenges Facing Robots in the Next Decade. Interesting, interesting. And then the Conscious Entrepreneur. What is that? As opposed to the unconscious? You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that maybe the more conscious would make it say. Um, yeah, you know, we're we're going to hit on some of the softer side of, of being an entrepreneur and, and building a business. And, uh, you know, I think it's a hot topic that we didn't want to avoid, you know, here in the Bay Area, as well as globally, is how do we how do we create a more diverse workplace? What is what are the as there, there's a lot of early decisions that are made in founding a company that really will last as, as that company grows and and really takes on the persona of, of the leading team, right? The, the folks that are defining and making decisions, and um, so we wanted to bring this topic to bear about what uh, what does it, what can that look like? What, what, what are some of the topics you should be thinking about internally as well as externally? You know, we have, uh, Janardomsky from Michigan and we'll talk about, you know, the circular economy and, and, and then we have Jim Doty from Stanford, um, you know, about kind of the holistic well-being of, of people and, and companies and, and how they work together. And, um, so the, the general discussion beyond just the, you know, the single bottom line, what does is, what is the triple bottom line look like and how, how can we get there?
1: Wow, you were covering all the bases with this one event. This is amazing. <laughs> and then you have to have what the bleep happened to the maker movement. Uh, I guess, I would guess Dale's going to be on that one. See,
0: Dale is there, yeah, this is... <laughs> This, yeah, those are the folks I was talking about, Chris Dale and uh, Carl, and it's they're they're all friends, so it's a very friendly conversation about their inside scoop on you know this all this excitement that welled up ten years ago and how that has transformed things and kind of where that energy has gone. I think more than it, it hasn't really dissipated, but it's kind of moved into various aspects of life.
1: Yeah, that'll be really interesting to hear what they have to say. Um. And then you also have an hour of networking at the very end. And I mean, talks are awesome, but really the reason why I spend thousands to go fly on a plane to go somewhere to a conference is the networking to actually meet people in person or virtually now. But you're still meeting people. It's it's so much different than. Like finding someone on LinkedIn and then sending them a connection request and then never actually knowing what they do or why they do it or what they need or what you could do for them or what you can get from you know you have no idea who that person is but what is this networking session going to look like?
0: Absolutely. So we'll we have a we're going to have kind of a large general room and then breakout rooms as well for smaller groups but it's it's exactly that it's it's the virtual version of the happy hour so we invite everybody to. Uh, dust off their wine glasses if, uh, <laughs> if they haven't been well-used already. <laughs> um, to join us for uh, a drink and to connect with hardware-focused entrepreneurs and partners and investors and the whole
1: community. Beautiful. And so if, uh, you know, you mentioned the parakeet stuff. Um, if someone wanted to be someone as a service provider or some other sort of provider and they want to be a part of that, is it too late to join
0: No, it's now is the perfect time, actually. Uh, is we'll keep that open right up to the day of, and we've got the whole platform built, um, for that to to be very robust. So basically, as a service provider, you would buy what we've called the seller side matchmaking ticket, and that would, you would define your category. Are you, um, you know, optical engineering? Are you packaging? Are you, what, what category are you selling your services in? And then, uh, we have an opportunity to make a one-time HardwareCon deal to the group, and uh, then the, every attendee is given a, a buyer-side ticket. So everybody that has a ticket to HardwareCon can um, look for the services that they need, and then we connect those parties. And, and you'll show up in the searches if you know if you're looking for for packaging, then you'll see all the packaging providers and just be able to, to uh, create a meeting right there. So it's very, you know, it's not it's not the 10,000 or 20 or $50,000 marketing budget. It's just very focused, um, it's 875 for that access, and, and it's just a very focused, hey, let's get down to, down to talking business.
1: So just like a booth at a conference, but it's virtual, it's so cool, people can just walk up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you know that you don't even have to man the booth, right? Or or person the booth. Oh, <laughs> so, oh bonus. It's just uh, yeah, it's it's just hey, this seems like a good fit. Let's uh, set up a ten minute meeting and see if we want to take it further from there.
1: I mean, to me, as someone who spent many many hours behind booths, you know, this sounds even better <laughs> than a typical yeah. conference <laughs> from the vendor side. There's no booth blisters in the next days. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Exactly. I, I feel that, yeah.
1: <laughs> you, you might uh, take over the conference industry with this. No one no one wants to stand there anymore. It's torture, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what about with, um, you know, you mentioned the startups and that whole package. Is that a different ticket or do they need to apply it in a different way?
0: There is a Hardware Boulevard ticket uh, for that. So that okay. includes the virtual booth. It also gets two free tickets, um, to the conference. It's, it's very, you know, uh, complete package for startups. So you do get the seller side matchmaking for startups also. So it's a way for you to meet directly if, and, and promote your, your new service, um, with the attendees as well. Um, and then you get promotion through our media and, and announcements to the world, and, and you get to be involved in the pitch contest to practice your pitch, get it, get it down, and to get in front of our judges, hear their Q and A, and generally promote what you're doing to the world and see what the response is. Get get real-time feedback.
1: So much great stuff. You know, like yeah, like you you mentioned this before uh, in a different meeting we had about, and I'm so so on board with this. You said you know like there's so many conferences for software, but what is there for hardware? And that's part of the reason why you, you may, like, well, whatever, I'll just make one. <laughs> this, is, this is the place guys. This is, this is where you go to find your people. Like there aren't a whole lot of hardware centric things. There are, you know, like electronics engineering conferences and there's very specific niche discipline things, but, there's really nothing else that's just, you know, like, Hey, I'm trying to build a thing and I need this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, I need this service. And I need an expert in supply and shipping and, um, project management. And like, you'd have to go to a million different conferences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. You know, and I'll tell you that what keeps me coming back is the community. I mean, I, the, I have been just blown away with the, the, Types of folks I've met—it's just they're really interesting, really fun, um, really devoted, really uh, earnest about their projects, and I—they're—they're they're my favorite uh, get-togethers. Really, is, is meeting
1: meeting these folks. So. Absolutely, sure. tons of
0: fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so June eighth, hardwarecon.com. Go right now. The deadline is immediately. Do it now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <all. laughs> it's about that time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to add that people should know about? Um, I mean, uh, they could probably also are you still opening Hardware Massive up in some other way that people can join that? Or
0: Yeah, we'd like to, you know, I think we're still probably a few months out. Um, but uh, you can sign up now. It's all open at HardwareMassive.com. And if you are interested in having local events, contact me. we are you know be happy to support with our platform uh, any local chapters, um, we are, I think, you know, a big part of this is we're going to see how this virtual experience goes with HardwareCon and, um, you know, if we can roll that over to these local chapter events and around the world so that we can bring a lot more uh, awareness and, you know, ability to, to network um, going forward. But, uh, and we'll have some partner events and some other things. So keep an eye out there. Uh, but yeah, I think we're, we're going to, Really putting everything into HardwareCon right now, and in a few weeks we'll pull our data together and make a bigger game plan for Hardware Massive. So if you have ideas, if you want to have an event, or um, you know, if uh, definitely welcome any any ideas around helping Hardware startups succeed.
1: Awesome. Well, Greg Fisher, thank you so much for talking with us today. I'm so excited to see. How Hardware Con's gonna pan out? I'm sure it's gonna be awesome. I just don't know how awesome yet.
0: <laughs> well, we we're excited to have you, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to to seeing you there and everybody else. So th- thanks so much, Aaron, for thanks. having me on today.
1: For 15% off any Hardware Con ticket, use code Oddeng15. That's O D D E N G 15 at HardwareCon.com.